Hey there, welcome to the LSAT Demon Daily Podcast. I'm Avi, and I'm here with Stuart, and we're both teachers and tutors with the LSAT Demon. Today, we're going to be talking through an Ask Button question, Stu. So we had Anonymous write in uh, via the Ask Button, and they asked a question about a specific question, and we, we can pull that up later, but the question from Anonymous was, Hi, I'm having a tough time understanding how a question is a supported slash inference question. Could you please explain, based on this question, the linked question, and just on the general basis of this question type? Should I basically just look at it as a must-be-true? What do you think, Stu? High-level thoughts? How do you think about supported questions? What makes a question a supported question? How do we how do we handle these? Yeah, uh, first of all, I, I think they couldn't have picked a, a better two teachers to have on this podcast for this one because we both teach LR, so we have a lot of LR wisdom to share. Um, I think about teaching students to stay faithful to the passage uh, on uh, specifically supported questions. And what I mean by this is that it's very similar to reading comprehension, where we want to choose an answer choice that is not only safe, but 100% proven by the passage. So as we're reading through those five answer choices, if we look at one uh, and we're maybe a little bit confused if it's supported or not supported, I think the best tactic is to go back through the passage and refresh ourselves and ask, is this 100% proven by the passage? And if the answer to that question is yes, that's our answer. If we can point to something in the passage that 100% says, you know, what answer choice A is saying, great, we have all the justification we need. But if we even have a doubt, if we're, you know, we have to do some mental gymnastics to make the answer fit, that's when I'm like, yep. That's not it. That's not going to be our, our best bet because that's not 100% proven by the passage if we have to do these mental gymnastics to make this answer choice work. Exactly. Yeah, Stu, I, I love that and I think it's super important. So just as important as it is to be able to point to the sentence where you can make the inference or you can point to the evidence and go, yeah, this answer is supported. I think it's just as important, just like Stu said, to, to look at an answer choice and go, the passage doesn't say this. It either doesn't talk about it at all, it doesn't opine on it, it doesn't give us any opinion on that fact, or oftentimes it says something completely different, something completely the opposite, it actually comes to a different conclusion. So to be able to read the answer choices and see see how they fit into the pa- the world of the passage, sort of like like you said, it's an RC, it's a mini RC question, right? It's, it's asking you, can you read the argument and can you, based on the facts given the argument, figure out if the answer choices fit? And I mean, besides that, there's some wording things, I guess, too. You know, this person's asking, how do I even tell if the question is a supported question? So that's, I mean, sometimes it'll just ask you which of the following is supported by the evidence. <laughs> but other yeah. times it might say something like, this question we're about to pull up, uh, where it kind of words it a little bit differently. But I mean, other than that, anything else to add before we jump in? I would say, I don't like to talk about, you know, strong and weak answer choices a lot because I think it can just be confusing. Um, But here in this case, I think it makes sense that we want to choose something that is a very conservative answer choice that is very weak, that is very easy to prove, right? So like uh, an example that I would give is, you know, the the distinction between must versus can, you know, we must, I don't know, we we must do this thing. That means that this thing, you know, 100% has to happen. Like the author is telling us that this is needs to happen versus we can do this thing. That's the author telling us that it's possible that this thing can happen, but maybe we don't need to. It's not as pressing as that must word. So I like to find, you know, if I can find an answer choice that's really weak, nice and provable, that's great. 
but I don't put too much like stock in that. That's not, you know, a hard and fast rule. I'm sure there are supported questions out there which have the word must in them and are really strong answer choices. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is something that we all say in our classes too, but you can always eliminate answer choices for going too far. It's harder yeah. to eliminate softer, weaker answer choices that kind of just beat around the bush. So your your go-to is like must versus can. My go-to is always and sometimes, right? I love a sometimes because how are you going to disprove a sometimes, right? It just has to happen yeah. one time for sometimes to be true versus an answer choice that goes too far and says always. That's a little bit harder to prove. So just, you know, another another example for, for Anonymous and everybody listening. Um, those are kinds of, that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about strong answer choices or weak or soft or vaguer answer choices. But um, without further ado, Stu, I, I can pull the question up on my end and uh, yep. you can you can walk us through it. All right, here it is. Uh, this one comes from test 73, section four, question eight. Uh, it's called fluoride. Uh, so I'll just read the passage. Um, fluoride enters a region's groundwater when rain dissolves fluoride-bearing minerals in the soil. Okay, great. Uh, there are these things, minerals that have fluoride in them. They get dissolved. That's how fluoride gets into our groundwater. Cool, nothing special there. In a recent study, researchers found that when rainfall, concentrations of fluoride-bearing minerals and other relevant variables are held constant. Okay, so everything is, you know, staying the same. We have experimental conditions, I guess you could call it. Fluoride concentrations in groundwater are significantly higher in areas where the groundwater also contains a high concentration of sodium. It's a lot, but basically what it's telling us is that these fluoride concentrations in groundwater, they're a lot higher when the groundwater has a high concentration of sodium. Kind of like a correlation, but there's no you know direct causation being mentioned here. Right. And and I think it's I think it's important to mention, Stu, sorry to interrupt you, but yes, totally there's okay. co there's correlation, you know, and I know that a lot of people jump to when they see a correlate a fact or evidence for correlation, I think a lot of students will jump in their heads to, oh, correlation does not equal causation. Correlation does not equal causation. That's true. Correlation can be evidence for causation though, and that's something to remember. Um so it's not necessarily that these can't be related facts. Um, it, it seems like, like you said, almost experimental conditions, they're holding everything else constant and fluoride is higher where the groundwater also has sodium. So the, the facts may not be unrelated, uh, but for now we only have correlation. So we'll see what the question needs us to do. Yeah. So a uh, question asks, which one of the following can most reasonably be concluded on the basis of the researcher's findings? Uh, so yeah, supported question. Um, we are trying to figure out, you know, which one of these is essentially right, like the conclusion uh, based on the passage. Um, so let's just start off with a, I have a pretty good handle of the passage, right? There's nothing I can predict here. I mean, they can ask us so many things on a supported question that it's really difficult to predict. And I don't see anything like overlapping here. Sometimes on supported questions, you can see like some overlap in the passage with the information. Here, I don't have that. I'm just told about how fluoride gets in the groundwater uh, and the fact that it's uh, the fluoride concentration is higher in areas where the groundwater also has sodium. Um, okay, so see what we got. Instrument A, fluoride bearing minerals are not the primary source of fluoride found in groundwater. Uh, this seems to directly contradict the passage. Um, <laughs> It's, it's certainly not supported, but I think it also contradicts the passage because it tells us that fluoride enters a region's groundwater when rain dissolves these fluoride-bearing minerals. 
So we know that it's like a factor of you know how fluoride gets into the groundwater that these fluoride bearing minerals exist. We don't know if it's the prime. We don't know if it's the primary source. We certainly know it is yeah. a source. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a spectrum of wrongness that answer choices can be right. They can either yeah. not be mentioned by the passage, or in this case, it is kind of contradicting the passage a little bit. Not necessarily the primary part, but like we do kind of know that they are a source of the fluoride found in the groundwater. So there's kind of a couple things wrong here. Um, yeah, with emphasis on primary for not contradicting the passage, but either way, this isn't supported. They could very well be the primary uh, source of fluoride. We just don't know. So we can take A off the table. Um, again, you know, remaining faithful to the passage, right? If we look at it and have any doubts, we're looking right back at that passage to say, is this, is this in here? Um, all right, B, rainfall does not affect fluoride concentrations in groundwater. <laughs> Um, <laughs> kind of directly contradicting the first kind of, sentence yeah. again, right? I mean, again, like does not affect is a vague term, but it seems to me that we know that fluoride will enter the groundwater when the rain dissolves the mineral. So that seems to me like the rainfall is affecting fluoride concentrations in the, in the groundwater. Yeah, exactly. So we can take this one off the table. It's certainly not supported. Uh, all right, C, sodium-bearing minerals dissolve at a faster rate here, I'd already be skeptical because I don't remember the passage telling me anything about like how fast these things dissolve, but let's see what the rest of this says. Van fluoride-bearing minerals. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing here that says about the rate of uh, dissolving of these minerals, and I'm, so I'm not picking it. I'm, I'm out on this one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Not we don't know how fast either of them dissolve, let alone which one is dissolving faster than the other. It's just completely, it's completely not within the scope of the, of the argument. Yeah. Uh, answer choice D, sodium in groundwater increases the rate at which fluoride-bearing minerals dissolve. Yeah, right? I think this is this seems to match up pretty closely with that last part of the passage where we're told that these fluoride concentrations are a lot higher in areas where there's also sodium. And then we're also, of course, told about how rain dissolves these fluoride-bearing minerals. The passage has support for this. I can point to parts of the passage to justify this answer choice. I'm okay with this. It seems decent so far. Yeah, just just to add, I think, what are we told, right? We're told that fluoride in the groundwater is high, at higher concentrations when the groundwater has sodium in it. So like we talked about, right? There is this correlation between groundwater containing sodium and a higher concentration of fluoride in the groundwater as well. And we're also told that when you keep the rainfall constant, the concentrations of fluoride minerals constant and other stuff constant, that the only thing that changes is that fluoride is higher in the groundwater when there's sodium in the groundwater. So yep. yeah, like you said, not too crazy to conclude that sodium is affecting the rate. It's, it's, it's increasing the, 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 the concentration of fluoride. Yeah. And so we found something that seems like very solid and, all I'd be thinking about here is making sure that I can eliminate E. Um, so let's see if we can do that. Uh, e says, soil that contains high concentrations of sodium-bearing minerals also contains high concentrations of fluoride-bearing minerals. But we don't know this. The passage doesn't tell us anything about what the soil contains and, like, and specifically, you know, what the soil contains like if there's like any kind of correlation between that, right? We're told that there are fluoride bearing minerals in the soil, sure. But we have no idea whether these are 
always, you know, going to be present with sodium bearing minerals and vice versa. Yeah, so, we're actually we're actually told nothing about sodium bearing minerals, and I think that in the past when I, when we've taught this question, I think students misconstrue the fact that the groundwater has a high concentration of sodium with the fact that there must be then minerals with sodium bearing minerals. We're actually not told yeah. how the sodium gets in the groundwater. I think folks mix up that the way that fluorides enter in the groundwater is when rain dissolves fluoride bearing minerals. We're not told, are there sodium bearing minerals? Unclear. Is that how sodium gets in the groundwater? Unclear. All we're told is that there's sodium in the groundwater. Exactly. And so we, we can't point to anything here that like makes E work. We already found direct um, support for D and there we go. We're left with answer choice D. Now we just got to see if it's correct. Oh, this is my favorite part, Stu. Oh, love yeah. the green. I love the green. Yeah. So closing, yeah. Closing thoughts. Yeah. Staying, staying faithful, staying true to the passage, uh, treating it like it's an RC passage, you know, um, Eric, shout out to Eric, our producer, uh, Eric teaches LSAT cross training, I think is the class title. And I know for sure that he's had cross training from RC to LR and LR to RC. And I'm, you know, a hundred percent certain that this is something that he talks about. Like you got to be detail oriented and that's going to, you know, like going to translate from your RC to your LR and your LR to your RC, right? Stay focused on these details and specifically on supported questions, stay faithful to what you're reading. 100%. And just last, you know, to answer anonymous, one of anonymous, anonymous's questions directly, uh, anonymous, you're, you're going to get better at identifying supported questions just by reps, right? They're all going to yeah. be worded a little bit differently. They may not all come out and say supported, right? This one doesn't. And yet we can kind of conclude from the way that the question is phrased and what the question is asking you to do, that is asking you what is supported by the facts on the page. So don't worry, anonymous, the reps with the reps, the, the, Understanding will come. You'll get more familiar with the test um, and you'll be able to do these uh, easy peasy. Keep studying. Keep killing it. All right. Okay. Well, uh, folks, thanks for listening. You can email daily at lsatdemon.com if you have any other questions or use the ask button like Anonymous did or come, better yet, come to class. Uh, Stu and I both teach LR. We'll answer your questions. Um, but if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news, email daily at lsatdemon.com. Thank you for listening. Yep, thanks for listening.